You ready for this deal, Jimbo? Hey, fire in the hole, man. Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. Hey, it's old Cody here. And as always, I have my main man with me, my, my old partner, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Morning, Jimbo. Good morning, Cody boy. It's just another great day in Osage, man. Hey, uh, before we get started here, the other day we had some people stop by the museum here. They're big fans of the podcast. They said they've listened to every one of them, so we're going to send them a nice big shout-out. Brett and Bree Holmberg from Centerville, South Dakota. Thanks for stopping by, y'all. We appreciate Man, it. That's a pretty big net, don't we? South Dakota. We got two we? fans stopped by, Jimbo. We're the big time now. I guess. Makes us feel good when somebody comes all the way from South Dakota to visit the museum. For sure. I'd like to say, too, Cody, that any of our fans that uh, – Plan on visiting the museum. Uh, they'll give me a day or two heads up. I'll try to be here and give them a tour, or you can be here too. But I know you're busier than I am sometimes, and I can usually meet somebody here if they want a personal tour. Well, you know more about the deal than I do, almost, Jimbo. Yeah, no, about that. <laughs> Who do we got today? Hey, Cody, you know how you always kind of want to be a rodeo clown? Oh, yeah. Grew up wanting to be a rodeo clown. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got one here today a 38 year veteran, Gary Parlai. He's uh, been a barrel man, a bull fighter, done it all, worked the national finals. He's kind of protege of Mick Legrand, and I'm sure he's got lots of stories. He's a rodeo coach, too. So uh, he's done it all, but uh, best known for his uh, work in the rodeo as a, like I say, a barrel man and, and bull fighter. But anyway, we're just glad to have him. Very welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Hey, I'm great to be here. Well, we're tickled to have you. Where'd you grow up at, Gary? Morton, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they play some pretty good football over there in high school, don't they? Yes. But they still going strong over there? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they moved us up from eight man to 11 man. Yeah. Toughened it up a little bit. And, and everybody said, you know, we wouldn't be able to do any good as 11 man. The first year we're 11 man, they won the state yeah, championship also. So, yeah, there's a bunch of good, hardworking kids over there. They, had they put the time in. Heck of a winning streak there. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yes. Wow. How'd you get interested in rodeo? Well, it was kind of a weird. Uh, my English teacher, Mrs. Taylor, said you got to write a, a theme, a term paper. And she said, pick something you like. And I said, there's nothing I'm really interested in. She said, well, you like horses. And I said, well, yeah. So anyway, I got to, went out and, and wrote about the quarter horses. And I went and got a bunch of quarter horse journals. And then there was all these articles about Burwell, Nebraska, and Sydney, Iowa, and these rodeos, you know, and stories about, about rodeo. And I got interested in it and stuff. And then kind of ironic, the first rodeo I ever entered, I was 16 years old, Puska Cavalcade. And uh, Bob Burke was a 
was a calf roper, and he was two or three years older than I was, and he needed somebody to mug for him. And I had them bring him crossbred cows, and we was the youngest team here. And uh, we we placed in the first go around and made it to the finals and stuff. But uh, yeah, Pusca Cavalcade Rodeo was my was the first one I ever entered. I think I won ten or fifteen dollars. I don't know. I don't think they've upped the purse any since <laughs> that time. From what I hear, I don't even know, but I don't think it's about winning money at that particular rodeo. It's uh, all about the young people, and, and you know, that's it's quite a tradition. Probably an honor to win it too. Right. Unbelievable. For sure. You know who I grew up with? You know who used to live in our house, Gary? Who's that? And then they kicked him out of our house and he moved in with my grandparents after that. Uh, Buddy Heaton. Buddy Heaton. I'll tell you, I heard so many Buddy Heaton stories growing up. When Buck Legrand would tell you somebody was tough and crazy, now you pay some attention. <laughs> and uh, Buddy Heaton, and I got to meet him the first PRCA rodeo I worked after I got a card was Amarillo, Texas, 1967. And Buddy Heaton was there, and I didn't know who he was. And he had the big beard and 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 stuff. And, and I actually only put my, my makeup on and got in the barrel right before the bull riding. And I was opening gates, letting the calves out of the arena before I went and put my makeup on. And, and uh, he was standing there, and he said, it'd be about like one of you dumb kids to let one of them calves out. And I thought, who is this big son? And they said, that's Buddy Heaton. And I go, oh, yeah, I've heard so many Buddy Heaton stories, yeah. Is there any of them you can repeat? Oh, uh, you know, the one that, that – that I heard about the most was they said, you talk about athlete, a big man that was an athlete. They said it was unbelievable. Said he, he'd ride bulls and pull his own bull rope, you know, and said, Lob will ride the hair off one of them. And they said, those cables that used to go around the old rodeo arenas, they said he could just get up and just and, and tight walk them down there. They said at Calgary one year, he rolled the, he stole the ambulance and rolled it right in front of the parking ships. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but yeah, uh, he raised all kinds of heck up there at Calgary. Yeah, yeah. You know, one time he told me, and he, there was proof of it because he used to give these photos out to everybody. He went to prison and he was living in a halfway house, and then he moved. <laughs> he literally moved in with us for some reason, and then, uh, and then he moved in with my grandparents. And he told me that his old trained buffalo. He jumped the fence during some big prestigious horse race at the Calgary Stampede and won the horse race, and they crowned him the winner and everything on the Buffalo. And uh, he said the Canadian Mountie shot his Buffalo and, and, and told him he's never allowed back in Canada because I think the, the Queen of England was actually there that day. And then on the same Buffalo, he, uh, <laughs> he wasn't invited to the President Kenny's inauguration. He told me he said he was not invited, but he was there. And he had his buffalo there, and he jumped his buffalo in the parade, the inauguration parade, and rode him right up to him. And he said the Secret Service almost got him right there on the spot and uh, kneeled his buffalo right in front of him. And he, Kennedy had him not shoot at him, and uh, he gave away those photos everywhere he went, too. And then one of his clown acts, he told me one time, he said he was the, at the Houston Astrodome, at the Houston... <laughs> Livestock show and rodeo, one of the biggest rodeos in the world. Packed house. He's up in the rafters and he's telling everyone he's gonna have a jump. And uh pretty soon he's got everyone convinced he's gonna jump and he throws a dummy overboard and 
and I think it swings over the whole crowd and, a, and an old woman had a heart attack. He told me. So that's just a few of the buddy Heaton stories. I know firsthand from buddy Heaton. Wow. I've he, heard a lot. And, that, and that picture's out there on the internet of him riding a Buffalo in front of John Kendi. You know, I've seen it several times. Oh yeah. yeah. I wanted to be a rodeo clown so bad that he went and found his old clown barrel and gave to me. And I've since lost it, you know, through the years, but I was a little old kid, but yeah. I got a whole bunch of interesting stories about Buddy Heaton that I probably shouldn't tell on the podcast. <laughs> did you try riding bulls any, Gary? Yeah. Yes, I did. I, I uh, in high school and college rodeos, and I, and I went to Tonkawa College, Northern Oklahoma College, and and uh, as a freshman, and I'd entered the bull riding when I was a senior in high school there. And uh, I got on probably 20 or 30, and it was kind of funny because the uh, First year that I was there at Tonkawall, 1964, they asked me if I wanted to clown the rodeo, and Buck Legrand's supposed to fight bulls there, and I was going to work with him. Well, ended up, Buck couldn't make it, and Tom ended up was there, and I was supposed to be the barrel man, but the, nobody had a barrel, and I didn't have one at the time, so I ended up being a bullfighter, and, and they was going to hold my bull to after the rodeo, and then they said, no, no, get somebody to put a rope on him, you know, and, and you, you got to go here in a minute and, and he bucked me off right in the gate and of course they put it on every paper front page every paper and i said you know i told him i need to rewrite and they said why and i said because i wasn't through nodding when he bucked me off <laughs> you know oh claude robinson was a old stock contractor and, and stuff he happened to be there and he said son he said i don't think you're ever gonna make it as a bull rider he said but I think you're going to make a rodeo clown. I said, hey, I've been looking for an excuse to quit getting on them. So I said, that might be the reason. So I never got on another one. You said Buck helped you get started. Yeah. Yeah, Buck. Matter of fact, he called me one day and he said, hey, he said, I was driving a truck hauling, hauling hot, hot asphalt, widening 64 highway. And he called me and he said, he said, hey, he said, you want to go to Coffeyville? And I didn't have a PRCA card or anything. He said, he said, I'm going to put you in a barrel. And he said, if Jigs Butler likes you, he said, he'll hire you for the whole season and you can go with me in, in 1967. And I'd never been in a clown barrel before. And I said, yeah, I'll go. And so I go up there, Melvin Fields, a great guy and, and good friend of mine. And now, and at that time, I just, just met him and, and he gave up his barrel job and let me get in the barrel. And he fought bulls and stuff. And, and uh, when the rodeo was over, it was kind of a funny story. I tried to jump over a bull from off the top of the barrel on the Saturday night performance, and it didn't end real well. With me on his head, and, and Bernice Johnson, the stock contractor, he was there, entered, and Danny Lemons was sitting, standing next to him. He said, Danny, he said, Danny, don't we've been. I told him, he said, hey, he said, uh, I'm down to the barrel, don't even have a PRCA card. <laughs> Bernice said, I don't think he's going to live long enough to buy one. <laughs> we laughed about that story a bunch. And when the rodeo was over, Jigs come up and he said, I want to hire you to work my rodeos with Buck this year. And so uh, that first year in the PRC, 1967, I worked 21 rodeos. So, well, He was an interesting character too, wasn't he, Buck? Oh, yes. Yes, Buck was a, Buck was a very interesting character. And, and uh I still think he's one of the most complete rodeo clowns that, th that there ever was. He had the axe. You know, he was funny. And, and Jigs Butler one time said, and I heard this out of his own mouth, he said if a rodeo contract was only good enough to hire one rodeo clown, 
for the rodeo, I'd always have to hire Buck the Grand because he, he could do it all. You know, he'd fight bulls, he'd entertain the crowd, uh, but he was. I mean, back in those days, you had Wick Peth that was a tremendous athlete, but he didn't even wear makeup, you know, right. and stuff. But, but Buck was a complete, as far as I'm concerned. You know, when I was a kid, Cody, growing up, it seemed like the barrel man did, did more than they do now. Maybe it's just because I'm watching them on TV and, not, and maybe I'm missing something, but now it just seemed like they were in the barrel not doing much at all. But back then, they'd put on a show, you know, and they'd maybe have to turn a bull out that was just special for fighting, you know, might not have been one that they, but they'd put on a pretty good act, you know, and I don't see that anymore. Well, you don't, you don't see that much anymore. And, you know, like I say, when, when I started, there's usually just one bullfighter and a barrel man, and sometimes just one bullfighter there. But uh, now you got three bullfighters, a lot of these bigger rodeos and, and, uh, and a barrel man and stuff. And, and the barrel man didn't, didn't really get to do much or didn't get to say much. So. They just get those bulls out of there as quick as they can, it seems like, you know. So what about the, what was the barrel made out of back in 67? How'd they make them? That, the barrel that I had was one buck Grand had, and uh, it was out of steel. We told everybody it weighed 100 pounds, and, and finally I weighed it one day, and it weighed 160 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but then I had me aluminum one made. And I was picked as one of the five barrel men to, to work the, the Wrangler Bullfight series as a, as a barrel man. And I had an aluminum barrel. And I could fly it to those rodeos if it weighed under 100 pounds. And I could strip it down. We used wrestling mat tape on it instead of inner tubes back then. And I could get it down to 88 pounds. And so I could, I could declare it as excess baggage. <laughs> so I could fly it and I didn't have to. Because most of those, that's all I did was just work the barrel during the Wrangler bullfight. Boy, that was something back in the day. What about the old bull crooked nose? Oh, matter of fact, it's funny you, you mentioned him because they called me and they said, hey, we want you to work the barrel at, at Colorado Springs, the Wrangler bullfight. And uh, I was at Monta Vista, Colorado when I got the, the call that they wanted me to work it. And they paid real good. And stuff furnished us motel room, treated us really good. Wrangler did and stuff. And uh, that was the first rodeo arena that Crooked Nose was ever in. And uh, his, the dad to Crooked Nose was, was a bull. And I'll think of his name here in a minute, but, but he was there at that rodeo. And then Crooked Nose's brothers, but there's out of, out of that, this, the fighting bull plus some Mexican cows. And, uh, you talk about beat up when that rodeo was over. I was black and blue places. You ain't even supposed to get black and blue. And uh, Harry Vogel come to the deal and he said, guys, if the if the bullfighter that won this got paid 4000 the man in the barrel needs 4000 I've never seen anybody take that much abuse. But I mean, they was so wild and crazy and there's running and hitting it and it was flipping end over end. And uh, they was... I thought they were sticking horns in the bottom of the barrel. Skipper Voss told me, he said, no, he said, that's feet. He said, they're trying to jump it and it's going in and they're running their front feet down in the bottom of it. I mean, I'm black and blue and skin up like you can't believe. But uh, uh, yeah, Crooked Nose, he was, he was an unbelievable fighting bull. And, and uh, I saw him at the college national finals. They had a bullfight there the year after I worked at college college national finals the next year i was there as a rodeo team coach and crooked nose was there and he 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 hooked miles hair and spun him in the air and when i got back to the hotel that's playing it on a, somebody had recorded it 
And they said, how many, how many revolutions do you think Miles made in the air before he hit the ground? And we could stop it in his three and a half revolutions. He just hooked him with that one horn, you know. Yeah, Crooked Nose, he only had one horn, Jimbo. Mm -hmm. And a Crooked Nose, too. Yeah. Best I remember. And, and the crazy thing about it is, uh, you know, I'd see him quite a few different rodeos growing up. They'd have the Wrangler Bullfights in Dodge City. They even had them right here in Pahuska, too. Yep. And uh, they'd walk around in the pen with him and feed him, you know. The craziest mm -hmm. thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> but he was a mean, mean booger. Do you know how he lost his horn? No, I heard on the, on the clown barrel, but I, I don't know that was. Do you know how? No, sir. No. And you know what was funny about him was those bullfighters finally learned. Everybody tried to go to the muley side, and that was not the way to fight him. He had to go to the horn side because he could take and run and take that horn. And you'd think you'd get by that muley side, didn't it? That's how he'd pick them up, and he'd just sling them a lot of times out of there. Yeah, he was a – he. I've got a picture and big poster of Crooked Nose at my house. That uh, He's a famous bull. Yeah, I had one growing up, and I got another one here a while back, Jimbo. Same one hanging on my wall when I was in – I don't even remember yeah. what grade. You used to very old. You were talking about feet in the barrel. Have you seen that video – you might have even been there. I, I forget it was at the finals when the bull was bucking so high. He had already bucked the guy off, but he was still, I think, and he was still bucking. But he landed a hind foot in the barrel with the guy. The clown was in the barrel. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I felt it before. Yeah. I had that happen mesquite one night. Wow. And the bull just happened. It had been mud out, muddy outside the arena. Of course, uh -huh. it was a covered arena. And this bull bucked by there and stuck on and it. it it took my hat off and, and hit me right on the shoulder and just tore my shirt and went down, but just missed me. But uh, it hurt that clown that I'm talking about. Yeah, it can. I mean, there's some yeah, people oh, get broken that. necks in there. And, yeah. and uh, uh, the bad part about it is you're confined. You can't get out the bottom end of that no, thing. And, no. and uh, Yeah. When I was growing up, I'd look in the bottom of them, Jimbo, and, you know, they're round, but. Mm -hmm. Seemed like they all just had a little square at the bottom. I don't know if you could fit out the bottom or not. No, you couldn't. You could, you you could pick it up and walk it. You know, and they they made a walking barrel out of it where you could walk it. That aluminum barrel of mine that I had, I could get it up over my knees so I could run with it. And so if a bull went to the back end, you know, I could I could be there pretty quick, help my bullfighter out. No, that purple people eater was was the. Brother of Crooked Nose. Was, he was a dad. He was a, he was, it was, it was purple people eater and they bred him to a bunch of Mexican cows. Mexican, okay. And that's, that was, uh, they used to haul those two bulls around together. Yeah. Yeah. He was, at, he was there at Colorado Springs. Uh, matter of fact, a friend of mine has passed away and coiled, uh, and I've, I had a picture of him and I've lost some of my pictures, but, uh, Greg Doring had him drugged and, and fought him there at, uh, at Colorado Springs. Now, did those bulls buck too, or were they just no? Fighting they were bulls? just fighting bulls. Yeah, they were hot. Yeah, right. They, they were hot. They were bigger bulls too. The ones that Harry Vold hauled around for the Wrangler bullfights. It seemed like his bulls weren't the little Mexican fighting bulls. Most oh, of them. Most God. of them were some big, meaner bulls. That yeah, they was they was <laughs> most of them four year olds or so, you know, and and stuff. And and yeah, they was uh, they put on quite a show and and. Uh, it was good watching whenever the, you went to Harry Vold and you had Crooked Nose and all those great bulls out. Skipper Voss. Seemed like he always carried an inner tube around with him. Did he carry? No, Skipper didn't. Uh, that was Rex Dunn, maybe. Rex Dunn did. 
Uh, Skipper, matter of fact, won the bullfight there at Colorado Springs that year, and him and I worked quite a few rodeos together. He's a great bullfighter. He's athletic and, and could really step around those bulls. And of course, he is in the IPRA and then came to the PRCA, and, and he ended up being a, a, a Wrangler World Champion bullfighter. What was the Wrangler bullfights? Because they're not around anymore. Jim, that I know of Jim Sutton and his wife Julie came up with the concept, and uh, when they first started, it was six bullfighters, and uh, and you had if you was a barrelman, you had six bulls out of night, and uh, and they judged they judged not on protection, they just judged on how well you could fight them, and and if you got hooked and you got run over, why they took points away from you. If you got on the fence, they took points away from you, and. Uh, it was kind of controversial, you know. It was it was one person's, you know, it was the judge's opinion on who did the best job. I'm sure not everybody always agreed, but uh, it was good watching. And of course, they had the Beauty and Beast contest at Oklahoma City and and uh, and stuff. And and uh, Wrangler Wrangler put up some good money for it, and they paid us real good as a barrel man. And uh, I think I worked five or six of them. How did, what was the format? How did it go? I think the bullfighter got out. Did he place you where he wanted you to go as in a barrel man? Then, then yep. he calls for the bulls. Yep. They turn him out. How long did they fight him? Six, 60 seconds. And then they had an option of going a bonus. How many seconds? Yeah. I, th I think it was at that time, boy, that's been, you know, this is back in 81, 80 and 81, a long time ago. But I, I think at that time they had to fight him for 45 seconds. And they could fight them up to like maybe sixty seconds or or a little over a minute. But as a barrel man, just like there at Colorado Springs with all them young bulls and and as hot as they was, it was isometrics in that in that barrel just pushing, trying to stay in it. Because I mean, they would they would smoke it because they had never seen it and had never hit one before, you know. And uh, and then uh, some bullfighters would keep you back and they'd make a few passes and some guys would want you in there close with your barrel so so they could take some of the heat off of them bulls and wear them out just a little bit before they tried to go around them. Some of them guys started doing some stunts with the barrel too. Um, yes. Would you know we're ahead of time that they were going to try to position? I don't know. There's yep. several of them that I don't know. They like the bull just right in front of the barrel, barrels on its side. And they jump on the barrel and jump across the back of the bull or uh, it's Murph Horton. I don't know if he's the one that originated it, but he'd stand in front of the barrel, barrel standing up and get the bull behind him. And he'd take a run and hit the barrel and, and he'd just uh, go off in front of the barrel. Yeah, they call it a barrel hop. A barrel hop, yeah. yeah they, call, they called it a barrel hop stuff. Usually when they laid the barrel down, there'd be two bullfighters. I've got pictures of... Uh, when I worked Las Vegas El Dorado days in 1982, and uh, Skipper Voss holding the barrel for Rob Smets to jump, uh, I think Joe T. Garcia, which was a real famous fighting bull that Mike Servey hired all for a long time. He was a bad cat. The uh, well, heck, I forgot I was going to say, well, Jimbo. I was going to ask you, you were. Hired to be a funny man. What was some of the stuff you did in your act? Oh, we had I had a dog act at times. I had a Model T car that I that I did a little routine with it. Uh, I've had several different acts through through the years, and and everybody, of course, when I started, everybody had a mule. 
mm-hmm. or Shetland Pony. Mm-hmm. And the first event of the rodeo was a was a clown mule race, you know, and we'd race out after the, the grand entry. And of course nowadays nobody nobody hauls a mule or a or a pony anymore and stuff to do the stuff that we used to do. But we had a lot of fun. Boy, we, it was uh I said it was one of the best jobs as I said, I, when I was teaching school at Caney, Kansas, and I said that I had the best of ever of all of everything because whenever I got tired of teaching school and the kids got tired of me in the spring, well, it's time to go rodeo them. And about the time I got tired of traveling, it was time to go back to school. So it uh, it worked out really good. Right. Slim Pickens, they said he had my dad little kid with Slim would would bullfighting and said that he had an old horse. I think it's Appaloosie horse, maybe called Deer John or something. He'd come riding out on him, and he'd buck him off on cue somehow. Yeah, that was part of his act. Buck Legrand had a had a horse, Oklahoma Silver, that was unbelievable. Worked at Liberty, mm-hmm. and uh, we had mules that would do do the old car routine and roll over on their back and yeah. and and uh, and walk on their hind legs and do do stuff like that. Yeah, never had any monkeys or dogs or anything. Yeah, I've had monkeys. I've had dogs. I even had <laughs> I even had a trained goat. Everybody said, "What's his name?" I said, "Killer." They said, "Killer." I said, "Yeah." I said, "He's killed all my wife's flowers. He's killed all the trees." And she says, "If I don't get rid of him, she's going to kill him." But what did you have your monkey doing? Pretty much just wearing clothes. Yeah. Matter of fact, I took him to Calgary, and they wanted me to work this act on stage. Well, Calgary, 20,000 people there in 1970, and that little old monkey, I had a Reese monkey, and uh, so uh, this happened. They had the costumes from from the uh, uh, Planet of the Apes there, yep. and so I, w- I went over and, and talked them into loaning me one of those those costumes from the Planet of the Apes, and I put a, the other clown in it, and we, we did the act with it instead of that little monkey, you know, and stuff, and when the rodeo was over, why? I took that suit back, and I asked the little boy, I said, did I buy one of those? And he said, oh, MGM Grand's got a bunch of them. Them, He said, I'm sure you can. He said, yeah. I said, well, what could I probably buy one for? And he said, oh, he said, I imagine 5000 to buy one. <laughs> well, I'm a rodeo clown. <laughs> I was thinking $50. Right, right. I was watching an old clip from Calgary Stampede the other day, and they had what appeared to be as a tame, gentle lion running around. During the bull ride, did you ever see that, Gary? No, I did not. Yeah, they had a they had a halter on the lion, but that wouldn't that make you want to just stay on your bull, yeah, not get bucked off? Right. Yeah, I guess one of the clowns up there used to haul haul a lion around, and he'd be in the arena during the bull riding during the Calgary Stampede. There's some of those guys that used to have a bear, you know, a trained bear and stuff. I never did see that act either and stuff. And and then uh, L. V. Sanders had a roller skating horse that did like 20 tricks on roller skates and uh that was in fact he lived with buck legrand for a while and uh uh, but yeah lv could train he was quite a trainer i'd think that line would make a bull duck out from under you i wouldn't want him out to when i was trying to ride well if i'm lying i'm dying they had a lion out there i'm not even kidding you I'm not even kidding you, Jimbo. During the Calgary Stampede, during the rodeo. What year would that, that have been? you have any idea? It was in color. Yeah, it was in color. Okay. That's all I can tell you. It was in color. The uh, clip I saw. Who was the clown, Gary? And this isn't funny at all, but 
uh, had the shotgun. They always shot the shotgun off, and somehow I got some live shells, live load in his gun. He shot in the crowd and hurt some people. I, b- I believe it was Ken Bourne is the story that I heard. And, uh, yeah, Ken Bourne was was the guy that uh, that I think that happened to. And I've I'm, always heard that story. Yeah, yeah it's it. Uh, and there's there's been some clowns killed in clown acts before. There's some of them with a disappearing act and and uh, and just uh, yeah. There's I've got black powder burns on my hands and stuff in places I don't even want to tell you about that that stuff. And flash bombs and stuff going off that wasn't supposed to go off and stuff. I kind of miss that. Clown act at the rodeo. Like I say, they just don't do it like they used to, you know. Were they not, Gary? Do, are they not hauling around a clown car or anything like that now? No, I'll tell you what, we've got so many events now, mm-hmm. you know, don't have time for that, they, that, they, it's, that they don't have the time for it. And I mean, and it's sad because, I mean, when the PBR started, they didn't want a barrel man to say anything because they was all athletes and they wanted all the attention on the bull riders, which I, I agree they're they're great athletes and stuff. But there's enough people in those grandstands, children and stuff that and there's enough lulls in a rodeo. You need yeah. something to fill those lulls in. And mm-hmm. and Roach uh, Heedman, Tuff's brother, one time he at the Lazy E, he said, "Gary, would you like to work?" The barrel at one of these rang at the, one of these PBRs, and I said, if they're not going to let me say anything and do anything, I said I want to get me a remote control barrel, and and we put it out in the rain, and I can set up here in the can in the cantina and just move it wherever they wanted at, you know. And then they found out that that after a few years they needed some comedy, and of course Flint Flint Rasmussen, then they got him, and and he's kind of a hype man, and and. And I wouldn't call him a barrel man, but he is an entertainer and one of the best that's ever been. So right. I saw him when he was actually doing rodeos before the PBR hired him exclusively. He's and getting ready to retire, isn't he? Is he? And I think I saw yeah, that. I read, I read that the other day that he is he is fixing to retire. Yeah. He'll miss him because he's, yep. he's a large part of that PBR. Yeah, he was so, he's so good still. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. He's a very energetic fellow. Yes. Yeah, and you know, his brother's a... Is is announcer that that uh, was up for announcer of the year too uh, this year? Uh, I can't think of his first name now, but Will Rasmussen, he real good announcer. Yeah, that's that's French brother. Wow, what was it like working the finals? You worked the national finals. Oh, it was a goal, and it was it was one of the greatest things. That I mean, it it was you know it was accomplishment to get there, uh, and it was. You had to work 45 performances to even put your name in for the national finals. And, of course, me teaching school, it's kind of tough to work 45 performances and just not go to any wintertime rodeos, you know. And so 1974 was the first year I could put my name in for the finals. George Doak told me, he said, George was a real good and worked the finals a bunch. He said, put your name in. I said, there ain't nobody knows who I am because I said, I don't get to go to to Denver or any of them big rodeos in the wintertime, you know. And, and so put it in. I ended up the alternate to John Taylor that year. And uh, then the next year, I was alternate in 75, and uh, Bunky Boger went. And then in 76, uh, the top 20 in 1974 was the first year that the top 20 bull riders got to pick the bullfighters and the barrel men. For the final so I, I felt really good about that, that that the top 20 bull riders was had that much faith in me because i always tried to put that 
that barrel where it was in a position for the bull rider in case he needed to get behind it or buy it and for my bullfighters you know to make sure that they had some some place too and you kind of use it like a tree out in the middle of the pasture mm -hmm. but it, it was a great experience and and uh they had, we had a five-year rule back then that once you worked it you couldn't work it again for five years and uh, and so but i'm real proud of working it the, the time that i worked it and and uh, worked with two great bullfighters johnny tatum and bob romer and uh, both of them are deceased now the bull dancer yeah and actually i've i've got a picture where i'm fighting bulls at the at the block and bridal arena in stillwater and bob romer's in the barrel and then i've got a picture from the nfr with me in the barrel and and him fighting bulls i tell everybody i i got a better education than he did but uh yeah he was he's a great great guy and, and uh and we had a lot of fun together what would bob used to do with his hat when he'd throw it at a bull would it come back to him or he just throw it to get their attention well i don't i wasn't sure i seen a lot of uh, it, it depends. There, there's an old there's an old act we had that that you could, you could throw your hat out and it'd come back to you, and but uh, a lot of times you can use your hat. I've got one bull, one picture where this bull just right on my tail like this, you know, and it looks like I'm probably going to get freight trained, and I'd learned some tricks through the years, you know. I took my hat off and I just reached back and tapped him with it dropped it and he just got on it with both front feet you know and and, and just mashed that hat in the ground the crowd loved it and it gave me an extra couple steps because i never was blessed with a lot of speed so who were some of the bull riders there at the finals do you remember that year oh yeah donnie gay and randy majors and and uh denny flynn and and uh, you know the thing about it was of course, Don, Donnie Gay won the eight world championships and stuff. And uh, he was a guy pretty much every year to beat in that era back there in the 70s and stuff like that. But uh, 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 Sandy Kirby was in there, Butch Kirby, um, um, you know, uh, Bobby Berger um, was, was made the finals a whole bunch. Uh, um, there's a bunch I'm leaving out too. Jerome Robinson, Jerome's passed away now, but he was he was always, you know, in the in the mix of the deal. Uh, some of the boys from California, you know, George Paul, uh, he wasn't there when when I was there, but uh, uh, he was probably one of the greatest bull riders. You know, what made Donnie Gay so tough? Pressure. Uh, I'll tell you what, Don, Donnie had the confidence and, and riding bulls it's all about having it up here mm -hmm. and, and and he had the confidence and uh he could when the pressure got going and in 1979 i was working salt lake city and the best back-to-back -back two bull rides i ever saw doug brown from from oregon was 92 points and donnie gay was the last bull rider out and he was 94 points and Bonnie signed a copy of a photo of that ride and gave it to my kids and stuff. But he rode so good under pressure and stuff that uh, he just hard to throw off, you know. And he rode with so much style. I mean, he didn't flop around on them. He he uh, uh, he rode really good. Were you friends with most of the bull riders? I mean, is, is there kind of a yeah, I was I was friends with them. You know, the big thing was when I got to a rodeo, usually, I mean, I taught school maybe and drove all night mm -hmm. to get some of them. And for when I got there, I had to 
you know, get ever get all the acts, talk to the announcer and tell him what I was fixing to do and do all that stuff. So he didn't have a lot of time. And of course, back then, then soon the rodeo was over, a lot of them was, was gone. But one year after the Coffeeville Rodeo, I was I had a place at Tyro, Kansas, and uh, a bunch of the cowboys come by and spent the night at my house and we all got to laughing because there was there's everybody had been to the NFR that was at my house except Donnie Gay's pilot. And uh Bobby Brown, Hooter Brown, he was mm -hmm. he was there. Hawkeye, uh, and Jack Ward, two times world champion. Uh, T.J. Walters, who who many times at bareback riding, and uh, John Edwards, uh, and see who else. Uh, Jack Ward, yeah, and T.J. and and. And uh, there's there's a few more of them that was in there, but we all got to laughing because everybody had been to the to the NFR as a competitor or world champion except Donnie's pilot. <laughs> as a bull, watching a lot of bull riding, being a barrel man, would you tell what all the bull riders were doing wrong when they were riding that caused them to either do good or get bucked off? Did you become an expert yeah, watching so much of it? I couldn't tell you that I was an expert, but yeah, you, the first thing that you really watch for is anytime a bull rider looks off, when he loses fat focus and he looks off at the ground, you can just about bet that that's where he's going to land. And and, uh, and when their hips get over into their hand too, and if you stop and think, if a guy's riding right-handed, he gets into his hand, the only thing to get him back is his left leg over here. You know, or he's got to make a move to get back because you get into your hand, you know, and away from your hand. If you're stout, you can pull yourself back. Back down. You get into it, and uh, Wacy Kathy, he went to the finals a lot of times too. There back in those days, and he could get into his hand and get back better than anybody I ever seen. The next jump, he'd be sitting and you're going, "How did he do that?" You know, you know this sage. Sage Kimsey right now, and I was talking to Gary LeFew one day, and I said, I'm not a bull rider, but I said, for me, Sage Kimsey right now rides bulls so correct. And, and Gary LeFew, who's put on schools for years and years, you know, and he said, you're exactly right. He said, so many people override bulls. You know, they try to make too many moves. And, and you know, you, you if they ever get their – their arm, their, their free hand behind them, mm -hmm. shifts your hips over mm -hmm. into your hand. And when it does, you know, uh, there's no way usually to get back. But, uh, you know, I was really fortunate. I mean, the, some of the greatest bull rides, matter of fact, I was working in Burrow when John Quintana rode V61, first time he had ever been ridden. I was at Deadwood the year that John Quintana rode Booger Red, the first time that, that he'd been ridden at a PRCA show, I think. I heard later that he'd been maybe when he was amateur, but uh, the year I worked the national finals, Donnie Gay was 95, 95 points on red one of of, uh, of Kessler's, and that record stood for 25 years before anybody ever broke Donnie Gay's record from 1976. And of course, 1976, the year that, were, that I worked, it was the year that Chris Ledoux won the bareback riding. It was a sudden death deal that year. And uh, Chris Ledoux won the bareback riding that year, too. So, uh, But I have seen some great bull riders. And, uh, you know, Denny Flynn comes to mind. He's one of the best that never won a world championship. And and Ronnie Bo Bowman from, 
from down at Clare, Oklahoma, and Jerry Bigley, Randy Majors. Boy, there's a bunch of those. Jerome Robinson. There's a bunch of those guys that rode really good. That was a good era of bull riding. It was. It, it really was. You mentioned George Paul. Was he from Del Rio, Texas, I guess? Yes, he Where was. they have that big bull riding. I've always wondered. And I used to know a bunch of guys used to go down to that bull ride. They weren't bull riders, but they go down and have fun. It's in Del Rio. And it was just a big old, big old party type thing they had. But I'm, I'm just wondering, do you think that was the template for what the PBR or the bull riders only became? Because it was like it, it was like the San Angelo Rope and Fiesta, the Ben Johnson. You know, you had to be invited. You had to be the best in the world. I can't think of any other jackpot bull ridings that had that kind of format, you know, away from an actual rodeo at the time. Do you think that might have been the template for the big, the big time bull ridings like we see now? Yes, I, I, I think it, it really was part of it. And that George Paul, you know, I forget when he rode 89 bulls in a row, I think, before he got killed in that plane crash. And I got to know him. I met him at Sydney, Iowa and stuff. And if you ever saw him without a shirt on, it was unbelievable because his riding arm was just just uh, way bigger than his other arm was and stuff. But he was, and he rode bareback horses too. But yeah, I do think what you're, what you're saying is exactly right. And of course, Tuff was there and, and uh, Cody Lambert and the people that pretty much started the, the PBR. Matter of fact, I was working in Bonifay, Florida and at the hotel, uh, in 1989, Cody Lambert introduced me to Ty Murray, and um, and and the rest of his history. Ty Murray, he'd set so many records, and and that boy could was all around hand, like you know. You know the what bull riding it was, Jimbo. You've seen the the movie Eight Seconds about Lane Frost, the mm -hmm. one where he, uh, where his uh, private areas are holding on by a thread. It's that bull riding where. He gets back on, I think maybe wins the next round or something. So that's the big bull riding that we're talking okay. about okay. down there. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the PBR. It's amazing that those guys had the foresight and started that. Matter of fact, they sent me a letter, want me to invest in it. And uh, of course, now I wish to add, of course, I, afterwards as always, but uh, about that time I was in the insurance business and the company I was with just got through telling us that was all going to be terminated because they was getting out of personal lines and stuff. But uh, they, you know, thousand dollars would have got me, uh, you know, in the in the, the original deal. And I was working for Gary Gist, the buckle maker during the finals. I'd go help run his booths at the national finals and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the the PBR has really came a long ways, and it's done a lot for rodeo and for everything. What about the bulls? I mean, they're just about to breed them up to where they're almost unrideable. They are. I'll tell you what, they uh, it's it's unbelievable, uh, the bull power that we have now. And used to, you know, whenever I was going and stuff, everybody had one or two really ranked bulls and stuff. That, But now they, there's bunches of ranked bulls out there. We did a podcast with Matt Austin here a while back at he said they need instead of breeding better bulls, they need to start breeding better cowboys. Well, it's it's exactly and and this this EBR front horse the team concept and stuff. And I haven't got to watch a lot of it, but uh, you know, with the money now that's in rodeo, can you believe that that Stetson Wright? I mean, I'm I'm a Stetson Wright fan too, 
but uh, to win almost a million dollars competing in a year, he won nine hundred and sixty thousand, I think it was. And that that's that's amazing. I mean, we all laugh. The year I the year I worked the national finals, it took half of my check just to check out the Holiday Inn in Oklahoma City, you know. And now it's free motel rooms. And I'm glad. I'm happy sure, that, sure. that the sport has came that. I'm not. Uh, but there's a lot of, of, of the old timers that kind of paved the road sure. for it to get to where, uh, where it's at today. Yeah, You can say that about any event pretty much, you know. Any sport, you know, they're uh, any sport, yeah. you know, football. They used to wear leather helmets. Yeah. You <laughs> know, fell players used to have a winter or a summer job. You know, a lot of them were car salesmen, insurance salesmen, and, and did things in the summertime. Bouncers. Yeah. Everything. You know, that's uh. I'm glad to see it. It's coming this way for the Cowboy. And, and you know what? The Cowboys have taken notice for the most part. There's a lot more business-minded businessmen. They they pay a lot of it, a lot more t- attention to their physical health than, than most Cowboys. I don't, I don't think the beer stands near as popular as it used to be, possibly. You know, uh, there's a lot of guys specializing in an event where they enter several events because they're just so much money. Yeah. To be honest, it's turned into a serious business. Yeah. And the sponsorships, I feel like, turn into a serious business also, you know. It really has. And, and you know, the bareback riding, I mean, a lot of those bareback riders have been wrestlers and, and came from sports, yeah. sports like that. Yeah. Very athletic people. And, and some of the saddle bronc riders and stuff the same way. And some of the bull riders and, and, uh, and yeah, and bu- the bulldog and all the events now is – but the money's there now where you don't have to. You can, if you can focus and be good enough, you know. And make the finals. Yeah. You got to make the finals. You got to make the finals, make any money right. just about. But, uh, yeah, there's some of these jackpots nowadays in this team roping that's unbelievable what these boys are winning. So, bull riding, I feel like there's a lot of jackpots. There's a lot of, um, I'm going to say, amateur bull riding associations, you know, away from the PBR and the PRCA. And, uh, there's quite a bit of money up for grab at some of those. It it seems to there be, is. you know, I'm I'm just glad to see that Cowboy can finally pay his bills if if he if he's good enough to win anything. Because I've known a lot of Cowboys in the past that were the best in the world and still had trouble paying their world bills. Champions. So yeah. Ben Johnson didn't he say one time when the year he won the world? Yeah, <laughs> he had a mad wife. Wore out car. Wore out car. Three dollars. Yeah, and three dollars. Yeah, and some of this money. Trickle down the bull, bull, the clowns, the bullfighters and stuff. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it has. You know, it's been. Of course, I've been out of it for right. long enough. But uh, I was on the Ponca City Rodeo Committee for 19 years and and helped put that rodeo on and and uh, you know got to hire some of the some of the, the people and stuff and and uh, but yeah, it has some of it's trickled down. the The worst problem is I think the the contract acts. Uh, there's getting to be so many events now with the girls break away and which it's an exciting mm-hmm. event and stuff, but they're taking, taking that away from some of the right. contract acts and, you know, uh, yeah. We got one of the most famous contract acts ever right. from right here in Osage County, not, not including Buck Grand with, with his trick mule and trick horses and everything that he hauled around. But I'm talking of course about the one armed bandit. The most unique rodeo act I think's ever came down, Mike. Yeah, a lot of imitators, but only one one armed bandit. Yeah. You know, and yeah, John. I'm a John Payne fan. Fan his whole family. I mean, Amanda and, and Lynn. When Lynn was going down the road, his grandson's uh, picking up the business too now. Yeah, and I met John in Bonifay, Florida, in 1989. 
And of course, being from Shidler and here, I'm from Morrison, but we really didn't know each other. And that's where I, I met him. I was working that rodeo down there in, in 89 and stuff. But, but uh, now, yeah, and what, what John's put together, I mean, a lot of us guys that had acts was just dreaming um, but what he has done and he put the work into it and he keeps perfecting it and stuff. And it, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, there's another actor right now in the PRCA. It's Bobby Kerr. I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that oh, he's yeah. done on these these Mustang makeovers and stuff, and and uh, Horse Trainer Deluxe, and and I don't know him personally. He kept driving in the, the arena at Fort Worth the other day with a horse sitting in town in a car in the passenger seat, Jimbo. People don't realize, but sitting down is something a horse does not no, normally do. That is one of the hardest things they tell me to teach a horse to do is to sit down. A lot of them will lay down and then mm -hmm. set up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you stop and think about it. Mm -hmm. Just have one Buckler Grand's old horse of Oklahoma Silver, he would sit down right. and, and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's some of this stuff that they're trained them to do now is just marvelous. I had a bulldog and horse one time. <laughs> I think it, every time I started back him in the box, he would naturally sit down and do all kind. He'd rare up too as he sat down, Jimbo. <laughs> this was he knew you wasn't much of a bulldog, probably. Jerome Robinson, he was quite the bull rider back in his day, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. Jo Jerome was a businessman too. He had a business head on his shoulders. Nice guy, and and uh, of course he ended up being a stock contractor and stuff too. And and then. Then he got in with the PBR and, and stuff, and it was it was sad whenever he he passed away because I'm sure the PBR misses him and, and a bunch of his I fans. Can't believe it. You know, we met him down there. To, he went in the same time my grandpa did. You know, and just a few months after he did, he just yeah. looked like a picture of health. Then I used to work for him, Jimbo, back yeah. in the day. He uh, he'd rent the Kansas Coliseum out there in Wichita, and he'd hire all us boys from driving distance that knew anything about a rodeo, and. Uh, we went in there. And we had to start, we had to break up the ice ring ice, well, help them help them roll in with the arena dirt and then set up the arena. And, and as soon as the last perf was over, we started taking it all down right then. Jimbo worked till daylight every time. Every year he had it over there. The Kansas Coliseum. We had the circuit finals there, the uh, Prairie Circuit Finals there in 1978. And I, John Macbeth hired me to work it and and uh, and. and we on Saturday night it was sold out, and that was of course it was brand new back in those days at Kansas Coliseum, and we had the, we had the circuit finals there about four years in a row. I think it's condemned now. Last time I drove by it there on nine thirty five. Well, that's how old I am. Yeah, yeah, it had a big old chain link fence around it, and the weeds had grown up through the parking lot. So I think there's another one, new one, just down the road from it. Here, I know you probably had a lot of injuries. Did you ever have any real serious injuries? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd laugh and tell everybody I got my heart broken one time at, at Rodeo in South Dakota, and, and my nose broke in a bar in Montana. But outside of that, I, uh, well, I did get knocked out at uh, Manoa, Wisconsin. I was fighting bulls that, that day, and a boy hung up to a bull called Bicentennial, and, the, and it was the Bicentennial year, and, uh, and got me under the eye with a horn when he, he reversed his spin, and I've got four pictures of it. Of, of, you know, first thing you do on a hang-up like that, you try to get on a spinning bull, get the bull straightened out, you know, and this kid had lost his feet and was really going to get hurt bad. And and uh, we got him, I got him straightened out, and I went for the tail of the rope. When he did, he reversed it and caught me under the eye with a horn. And, 
and uh, I woke up in the hospital about 15 miles away, and I said, Doc, how bad is it? And he said, oh, it's not too bad. He said, I've done plastic surgery on you. And I said, you think my cheekbone's broke? And he's going, oh, no. He said, I can see your cheekbone good. He said, is it? It wasn't broken. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of, I said, how many stitches? He said, I don't know. I've been sewing for a while, and I had the stitches taken out at down at Stillwater. I was going to working on my master's, and this old doctor took the stitches out. He said, I don't know who sewed you up, but he is a young doctor. I said, how can you tell that? And he said, they took little bitty stitches. He said, that thing's not going to scar. And after a few years, it, it did. It just kind of, you can't even tell it. You know? Went to school at Stillwater. I bet that was an experience, too. A lot of fun times down there. A lot of cowboys down there, wasn't it? There was. You know, I mean, there was a bunch of cowboys down there at that time. Kelly Corbin, of course, he was, he was down there at that time and, and uh, world champion. And there was... There's a lot of cowboys come through there. Of course, Walt Garrison was was going to school. I had a junior judging class with Walt and got to know him good. What about Rusty Martin? Did you know him? Yeah, I, I met Rusty and uh, and didn't didn't know him when he was going to school there. I think he had left. See, I went to Tonkwa for two years, so I didn't get to get to Stillwater until I was a junior and stuff. And and yeah, Rusty was a, a bulldogger and big stout guy and and uh, and, and big rancher down down around Dakota. Oh, yeah. And somebody said you were, or maybe you said you were roommates with Tommy Wayman. Yeah, Tommy Wayman and I uh, roommated at Stillwater. He was a freshman. Of course, I was a junior. And uh, I think we lived in three different places. I used to laugh and tell everybody. I said, they said three different places. I said, yeah, I had to move every time the rent come due. You know, I said. <laughs> I was wanting to ask you about the block and bridle rodeo down there. Was it intramural rodeo? What was that all about? There's a block and bridle put on that rodeo on that building, and 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 they hired me to to fight bulls at it. Matter of fact, and and they've been bucking cows down there because they didn't want them to. And then and they and they said we're not supposed to have any fighting bulls, you know, on that building and stuff. And of course, Buckler Grand told me, hey, you tell them not to hire you if they don't want their bulls fought, you know, and stuff. So uh, anyway, I worked. I worked at that rodeo there and in, in, in that block and bridle in that little bitty building of course had cement walls up you know and and uh and that's that's where i put bob romer and the, the picture i've got a picture that was on the front page of the collie of me fighting bulls having my hand on this bull's head and uh it'd been, it'd been there several times but of course that building's completely gone now and and tore down so did they have that? Was that an annual event down there back then? Or? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The block and bridle put on that rodeo, and then and uh, one year they ended up. I worked it one year, and then the next year I had Tonkawa and it booked at the same time. That Tonkawa rodeo, they hired me there in '64, and I worked that rodeo eleven years in a row. And I had it booked the twelfth year, and and I didn't know it. They didn't tell me when they hired me, but it was an open rodeo, not a college. And I knew at that time the PRC had blacklisted me if I if I went to it. So I I showed up and had to get somebody else to work the rodeo because I knew I'd get blacklisted if I worked it. What was going on around that time that was causing the blacklist? I remember my dad talking about it. Because uh, if you had a pro card, you weren't allowed to go to. Yeah, you you weren't allowed to go to open rodeos, amateur rodeos. You could go to jackpots if I think at that time if there wasn't over three events I think and uh, but then whenever they moved 
the PRC headquarters, the way I understand it, to Colorado Springs and stuff, the right to work law, they couldn't enforce that to keep you from going. And so then it kind of opened some doors for, you know, like Pawnee, Oklahoma's got an IPRA rodeo and they wanted me to come work the rodeo. And I worked it a couple of times. I think my son, Shane, he clowned also. I think he worked it five or six different times. And, and, uh, but yeah, from then on, they couldn't really say, you know, where you could go and where you couldn't go. Did you ever get to work Cheyenne? I brag and tell everybody I worked Cheyenne the first year I was in the PRC, and they say, Cheyenne, Wyoming? I said, no, Cheyenne, Oklahoma. It's <laughs> one performance every five years. Yeah. Little towns out there around around there, they, they rotate that rodeo. It's a one performance deal, and one year it's in Hammond, and one year it's in Strong City, and, and those four little but Yeah, no, I never did work Cheyenne. They didn't hire a barrel man for a long time, and then then uh, and I talked to him one year at Denver that we'd go to Denver to the PRCA convention in January and book our rodeos, you know. And then when the PRCA moved the national finals to Las Vegas, they moved the convention to Las Vegas too. So from then on, we had to go go to Vegas to book our rodeos and stuff. But no, I never did. I always wanted to, but I never did. Uh, one, once Quail got it, and Quail was great, and, and uh, he worked it several years in a row. Right. That was my hero growing up, Jimbo. Yeah. Well, Dobbs. Yeah. I used to hang you out with him. Clown. Your hero would be a clown. Oh, yeah. He still is, I guess, my hero. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't see why not. We've got a picture of of, of uh, him. and I'm, I'm in the barrel, and him and Buckler Grand are fighting bulls at Burwell one year. I worked Burwell, I think, four or five years in a row. And, uh, and yeah, Quail was, Quail was good. He had good acts, and, and uh, he is... You know, him and Leon Coffey are the only two to ever work the NFR as a bullfighter and then a barrel man. Buck Grand was the only person to ever work it as a barrel man, then a bullfighter. Hmm. So that, that was the, the difference. In, in it's the just two. a natural progression. As you get older, you turn go to the barrel, I guess. Yeah. Know? So that was odd for Buck Grand to go from the barrel to the bullfighter. Yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it was real odd for him to go. Yeah. You know, I, I was really fortunate in my, in, in my time. I got to work with every every one of the greatest bullfighters and stuff, you know. I mean, the George Dokes, the Junior Meeks, uh, the uh, Quail Dobbs, the, the uh, Wick Peth, you know, Skipper Voss, Miles Hare, um, Rick Chapman, David Burnham, people, all of them worked the NFR and stuff. Rex Dunn worked with a bunch of Rex. Well, I'll, I'm going to put you on the spot then. If you were making a Mount Rushmore of clowns, rodeo clowns, who would you put on it? Need four names. Whoa, I tell you what, that would be that would be tough. That would be really tough to to uh to do. We didn't say this podcast gonna be easy to no. are you gonna combine clowns and bullfighters? Yeah, just clowns, no. just real because that's what they used to be. They used to be rodeo clowns, you know. That was just the name. Yeah, that was just the name. And just combine them. And they don't have to be any of that you saw, just the ones that had the most influence or or just you think belong on that Mount Rushmore. Well, I'll tell you what, that that is a great, great question. And you know, of course, Buck Grand comes to mind, and it depends on what category, like mm-hmm. like you're saying, what category, if you just lump it all together and stuff. I mean, big Jerry Olson from, from South Dakota, I'll tell you what, he's one of my heroes, had, had a buffalo and, and gave me a lot of encouragement. Uh, George Doak, there's, there's uh, Chuck Henson, one of the funniest guys to ever put makeup on. Uh, Rick Young. 
if you ask somebody who, if you ask Rick Young, who's the funniest, he'd say Chuck Henson. If you ask Chuck, he'd say, and you know, get to work with those two guys like at Salt Lake City, nine performance and stuff. We just, we had more fun. I couldn't believe that they was going to pay me when the rodeo was over because we, we had a, I had a lot of fun and, and, and working those rodeos together, you know. So and, uh, I'd have to think about that before I just stuck my foot in my mouth. Slim Pickens, what about him? He could be on there. You know, Slim Pickens, uh, of course, he was before my time. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not quite that old. But, uh, but yeah, Slim Pickens, uh, of course, you know, I mean, fan favorites and stuff. Uh, Wilbur Plogger, a lot of people, you know, uh, Wilbur Plogger was was one of the best. Jimmy, Jimmy Schumacher, as far as I was concerned, when I started, I thought he was the best barrel man. What about Ted Kimsey? Ted, Ted, uh, uh, he's a good barrel man, and he fought bull some too. He had a great act too. Yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to Wilbur Plogger when I was a kid. Bulldog too. Oh yeah, and he he back in the box with his clown outfit on. He'd come out of their baggy pants and striped shirt and, and bulldog a steer. Who's the fella just passed away a year or two ago? Um, he was, I think it's from down around Poto. I don't remember. You mean the Burrow Man? Yes, sir. Uh, a pretty famous one. Yeah, uh, he'd been around a while. Frank Rhodes. Oh. I don't think he was from around Poto, but I don't. I can't remember his name for the life of me for some Frank reason. Frank Rhodes was from, and he worked at NFR as a Burrow Man. And he was from Valiant and down in that area, and I'm trying to, you know. Which, you know, the Clark brothers, Bobby and Gene Clark, I never did get to work with them because they didn't use to have a barrel man. And they were, had uh, really great acts and stuff. They had a cannon act, a disappearing act. I never did get to see it, but everybody just just uh, marveled at it and stuff, you know. Flint Rasmussen. It'd be hard to leave off of there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. It would be a, it would be tough. And you kind of got to put it in categories of, of, uh, uh yeah, there's Buddy Heaton. I mean, uh, the stories I've heard about him and stuff, of course, he's before my time too, you know. But a big Jerry Olson, I mean, he was so, you know, he made the national finals in the bulldogging and stuff, but he could grab a bull by the tail and he was so big and stout, he could pull down on it and they couldn't kick him, you know. And and he'd grab him by the tail and then get a hold of the horn and laugh at him. You know, I mean, he was... Uh, I don't know if you ever saw him do that or not. And Corco's had a bull called Snuffy. And I mean, a bad fighting bull. But they said when he was a three-year-old, that Jerry Olson held onto his tail and his horn, wore him out and then bulldogged him. But uh, yeah. What was the meanest bulls you ever? What's the top three meanest? Well, uh, and again, it, it Hellcat was, was a bad cat that, that, He's a muley that uh, he knocked everybody in the business down. Uh, and the story goes that, that if he ever got you down, if you laid still, that, he, that he'd leave you. But he got me down one time, but my feet wouldn't lay still. <laughs> I'm always trying to, trying to get up. But, uh, you know, probably Buster. Uh, well, the, the worst bull probably that, I, that Hoss Emman had Speedy Gonzalez Jr., and uh, he was a part, he was a yellow bull, had one horn that come down, big horns like this. And he would take, and Haas Inman would, ha would make you have an inner tube, a tractor inner tube, and a dummy. And you'd have to patch that inner tube about every night. 
he'd go out there and hold that inner tube down and poke a hole in it with his horn. And I've, I've seen him taking just their, their dummies completely up, you know, just get them down and hold them down with the front foot and just, and, and, and tear them up and stuff. And, and he was probably the, Jimmy Schumacher, he finally got where he, he told Haas and said, I will not get in the barrel when you turn him out. He said, uh, and he was, yeah. it's lucky he didn't kill somebody. Schumacher told the story, and, and I know you may think I'm exaggerating, but I saw this happen, but but he could, he'd hook a dummy and throw it in the air and then catch it on his head when he come down and cocked his one horn up. And Schumacher tells the story about him the dummy, Jimmy had just got out of the barrel and be funny, went over to the dummy and he, he like his pickpocket and he checked the, the pockets, you know, of course they're empty and stuff, but then white pockets was out and they turned that bull out afterwards and he hooked that bull and stuff and got him down and was and started to run off and he went back and hooked the pockets out of that dummy. That was Speedy Gonzalez Jr. Speedy Jr., yeah. Junior. But then he had a he had a bull called Speedy too that was a he was a mule, had Horns cut off like this, but he would uh, ungodly fast. I saw Buckler Grand turn him back so fast the bull lost his footing and rolled over and jumped up and and, and was back on him again. And uh, you know, Porco's had a bull called Chico that had his horns cut off, oh, pretty good size, and they only stuck out about like this. But I told Tom Legrand at Mobridge one year, I said, hey, I said, this some gun's looking for the big end of that barrel, and it's the bullfighter's job to keep that big end turned away from him, you know. And uh, the next performance, he's out. He hooked the barrel, and he got the rim of my barrel, those horns stuck over it, but he didn't get his nose in. If he'd have came straight in, but he picked the barrel up with me on and carried it around for about, it seemed like five minutes, but I'm sure <laughs> – Irv Corco got the biggest kick out of it. He's a part. I said, "I'm gonna make you famous." I said, "I told him, I said, yeah, if I live." Yeah. You know. <laughs> what was your favorite rodeo to work? Oh, you know, of course, the national finals has got to got to be right up there, and then uh, that that was. But I, I love Deadwood, South Dakota. I think they said I worked in as many times as anybody ever had to act, and they've got a museum up there. And when they opened their Deadwood Museum, they called me. Well, they wanted my clown barrel, but my son was using it, so I couldn't donate it to them. And uh, but so I went up there for their grand opening. But uh, and I go back to Deadwood a whole bunch. Salt Lake City was was definitely one of the, the good rodeos that I worked. You know, and I worked a lot here in Oklahoma. I mean, Claremore, Oklahoma, great rodeo. Ponca City, I worked Ponca City a bunch. Uh, I saw her on Facebook where they're getting brand new bleachers right now, which is great and. When I was on the committee, why, why we replaced them old boards on them. And I was scared to death them things would fall down sometime. But I saw they're getting new new bleachers, and they've got some new young members on there that are doing some good things. And, and uh, you know, Hugo, Oklahoma, Freckles hired me four years in a row when I first started to work Hugo. And uh, just, God, there's a lot of rodeos. Woodward, Oklahoma was one of my favorites. I worked it four years in a row. They're back in the early '80s and stuff. Bonifay, Florida. Oh yeah, that Ponca City, the 101. I guess that's where Contract Acts originated, right? Right in that area, dang near. Yeah, yeah. You don't know Clark Schultz. I don't know if you ever heard of Clark Schultz or not, but he he had the old Model T car act that actually the one that I've got. 
Clark Schultz sold the original uh, to uh, Jack Lynn, and then he ended up buying it back, and they took it to Six Flags over Texas, and then Jack Lynn built the Model T that I've got now, but Clark Schultz had rodeo acts way back there in the in the forties and stuff, you know, and and uh, yeah, the one arm bandit. That's where he really got started. Was there at Ponca City, Oklahoma, with a truck, and and uh, well, know the story, and and Osballs and them hired him to work that run for, for Walt Osball, and yeah, and it goes all the way back to the Miller brothers, even. Oh yeah, where. That was just a uh, big Wild West show, but they had a lot of what I would call contract acts today between trick ropers and trick riders and yeah, and, and everything. Actually, it's called the 101 Wild West, not the not the 101, you know, the, the ranch and stuff. But reading a book about the Miller Brothers and, and the, the 101 Wild West and that whole ranch deal, a friend of mine sent me that book. Uh, and, Wild West, I believe is the name of it. It's about three inches thick, but it, it's all about the Miller Brothers. Yeah, unbelievable history over there. They had shear opens over there, and, you know, back in the day, the big old steers, you know, you see those old black and white film, you know, they're not very good quality, but. Yeah, I saw a film of Bill Pickett tying a steer yeah. down. Over. It's, kind of, it's kind of funny that, you know, where Bill Pickett's buried there north of Marlin, Marlin Oklahoma, I own the land around around that that cemetery there that's part of the old 101 uh, ranch no kidding and they sold it at auction one time and, and i don't own the cemetery of course but i own the the, the property around it and i just bought it kind of because i just thought it was a neat neat deal at bill pickett and stuff buried there and and uh yeah that the the funk city rodeo i worked it first time in 69 and the last time i think was either 98 or 99 and uh, i think during that time, I worked it probably 10 times, but they had, you know, Festus, they had Festus there as entertainers, and they had the, had the stars there at the rodeo. Well, we're sitting here in the Ben Johnson Museum. You said you, you ran across Ben Johnson a time or two in your life. Yeah, uh, Gary Giss, the buckle maker, knew Ben, and, and Ben came up to his skybox at the national finals one year, and so, and he introduced me to him, and then, uh, uh in 1984, at the national finals was in the gold card room, and and uh, Freckles and and Ben were getting their picture taken. Freckles hard at me, said, "Gary, come getting this picture with us." And so I got my picture made with him. And then then later on, Ben was in Oklahoma for the for the Ben Johnson uh, deal at Lazy E, and uh, and uh, Ben. Saw me at the at the hotel and recognized me. And we visited for a long time. He's wanting a wanting a mule to ride and ride on his ranch. You couldn't get him one found. They didn't want to sell the one you had in mind. No, no. They said they wouldn't. They they couldn't let him go. You know. But uh, Ben Ben Johnson, he was quite the actor, and and uh, I'm glad to see you guys carry on this tradition. And and uh, uh, if anybody hadn't seen this museum i sure encourage everybody to stop by and look at it and every time i come by i come in to see new stuff you know and new pictures and and uh, new memorabilia and uh, uh so i think it's a it's a great great thing you're doing here appreciate it if someone wants to become a professional rodeo clown or bullfighter or barrel man how do they do it nowadays 
you know, there's some school. If they want to be a bullfighter, they need to go to a bullfighting school. And there's some real good ones. Rob Smith's and Miles Hare put on a, put on a real good school. Uh, there's some of these boys down there now. I mean, Cody Webster and and uh, Nathan Harp and and uh, those boys. They work out. They've got their own place where they practice fighting bulls. Uh, you know, if they want to definitely be a bullfighter. To get into the barrel man and, and stuff, uh, you, number one, uh, the hard part's getting hired, you know, and you got to start, you got to start out small and start out at some smaller rodeos and little rodeos and just work your way up and, and uh, get somebody to, every, every place is looking for new original acts, but they're really hard to come by, you know, especially when you're competing against people like like the one-armed bandit and Bobby Kerr and, and those people that are, you know, trained animals. The thing about them is, like, I've had buffaloes that was trained. I had a little buffalo that we call it was a uh, dwarf buffalo, but I don't think maybe it was. But, uh, you know, we teach in school and only rodeo in summer. You got to work those trained acts every day, you know, keep them, keep them going. You can't lay off of them for nine months and then, go back and try to to uh, do it again you know me and him got a common person in common jimbo my uncle was part of his rodeo team wow. that he was the coach of yeah lewis barnes he lewis was a was a good bull rider and, and uh, uh that rodeo team was i mean Irvin williams who made the national finals in the bull riding uh, he was on that team, West Ward, who who almost made it in the barback ride, and I think he broke his leg that year uh, when he was, or he would have made it. Tyler Magnus, uh, he went back to back go rounds, and uh, at the finals, and Terry Postrack, I don't know how many times he was the IPRA world champion, and Donnie Vitt, and and several of them that that been to the IPRA finals. Ron Gilbert was a was a great one. We had some girls too, Brenda Rop. Uh, from up in Kansas, you probably knew Brenda Rop and her and her dad and stuff. And her dad was a calf rover, but uh, Glenn Rop, her dad. Yes, yeah, uh, I knew Glenn Rop. Yeah, he, he stops in every now and then. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah and and uh, Brenda, the first college rodeo she entered, uh, she went all around that. She's she was running barrels and and uh, and um, breakaway roping. But uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, Lewis. Lewis, I think, was in the top 20 one year in the book. I think he ended up 16th twice. Yeah. Broke his pelvis at Cheyenne one year, mid-ride. Won the first round. Happened in, on the second one. And then uh, he ended up 16th that year. And then the next year or the year after, he ended up 16th again. And uh, he broke his pelvis again, I think, riding this bull called Cowtown. It, yep. A real famous uh, bull back in the day. Yeah. End up sixteenth in the world two two years in a row. Got got crippled in you know July or August both years. So that'll happen. Yep. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's not. It's not if you get hurt. It's just when you know. So he had his hands full over there with my uncle and Terry Postract and a handful of them there. Yeah, there was a (laughs) that was an interesting experience. Well, you'll have them every now and then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. For sure. Well, Jimbo, you got anything else for him? Oh, just appreciate him driving over to 
today visiting with us. It's a great podcast. You know, this first clown we've had, rodeo clown we've had. I think so. We've had bull riders and rock riders and lots uh, of steer ropers, announcers, announcers, and uh, barrel racers. Other so, contract acts. I know. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever had a rodeo clown. That's quite a treat, really. Well, Interesting. I, I can say I was the first at something. This is, my, first. This is one of my favorite ones. I could oh, talk yeah. rodeo clowns all day oh, long. I know you could. For sure. I paid a lot of attention. You know who my, one of my favorites were? Leon Coffey. You mentioned him a while ago. Mm-hmm. When he was a bullfighter, Jimbo, I, get, I can guarantee you it was something to watch, something he revolutionized bullfighting. He, uh, you know, at the end of every rodeo, I think every stock contractor carrying around mean bull yep. to end the rodeo with, mm-hmm. you know, the bullfighters, they'd get to show off a little bit their skills and give the crowd a little bit of, <laughs> of excitement. And, uh, they started playing music for Leon, and he would dance in front of the bull, and then he would do the splits and then stand up just a little bit at a time from the splits. I mean, it was absolutely amazing what Leon Coffee could do, and now he's one of the funniest and best rodeo clowns out there, yeah. you know? So, uh, love rodeo. I love rodeo clowns, for sure. Hey, what do you think about... <laughs> I know we're trying to end this deal, but you know what about the events like this? <laughs> we about killed a guy, sponsored him here a few years ago. This deal where they it made a circle out in the middle of the arena and just got random people from the audience to come down and the last one to leave their circle or we'll sometimes, sometimes they're sitting at a poker table yeah. and the last one to leave their seat. What do you think about these events? I think they're a good way to get a committee or a person sued. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have any concept. I mean, I've been to some places before and I, I was at a deal at Sedalia, Missouri one night. And it was cement walls up, you know, high. And uh, these people had no idea. And I, you know, I told them, I said, hey, do y'all got to realize when they blow the whistle, that bull, th- that doesn't mean anything to that bull when this whole deal's over. If you're still standing out there and, and they turned out a bad horn looking bull, I said, you know, you, you need to, the only place to go was back toward the bucking chutes, you know, because you couldn't climb that cement wall and stuff. And they're all drunk, Jimbo. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't have signed up for it. Yeah, yeah, and they there was a couple of drunks come by there, and they kind of wanted me to kind of help them pick the people, and and I just took their their names and put it over in the trash can. They don't know how much <laughs> you saved them a lot. I, I saved them a lot, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's crazy. I really do. It's like a gladiator sport almost, just turning some lions out on some people. Mm-hmm. They uh, About one of the best ones I ever saw was down in McAllister at the prison rodeo. It was a professional rodeo, but they only had the pros do the timed events. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have this event called Money the Hard Way, where they tie this little sack of money on a bull's horn. And the first one to get it off of the horn wins. That's the only rule. So you can about imagine what happened there. I worked at Parshman, Mississippi prison rodeo one time and they did that. They turned, turned the bull out and I guarantee you, I'd just soon have my money tied around that bull's horns, have it in any bank in the United States. You know, they never did get it all. As a matter of fact, this bull ended up paralyzing a clown a few weeks after that. And guys ended up in a wheelchair after that. But this was one bad black, white face. Bull that was a hooky son of a gun. I went, yeah, it was. Uh, After the bull got tired of fighting for a minute, there'd be 50, 100 inmates in the arena, Jimbo. So they'd corner him up and surround him. 
And then one of them getting brave enough and go get it. They had one out in the couch when I was a little bitty kid. So this has been the early 60s that he could get it. This went all the way through the and 2000s. They finally had to make him legislate him out of it where he couldn't do it. because he, he did it so easy. I forget how he did it. I think he just laid down and let the bull run over him and yeah. he took it off. And yeah. if he got hurt, it was just a few days off in the infirmary yeah. on top of yeah. having a little extra money in his right, pocket. Right. So. I was scared to go to McAllister. I was afraid they'd keep me. I was so yeah, too close right. to home for me. I, I'm Mississippi. I could probably maybe get back home from there, but I thought they might lock me up down there. I knew some steer ropers that smuggled some uh, uh, alcoholic beverages in there one time. You got to mention their names, but in, in, Missis, in Mississippi, I had a shotgun with blanks in it. And I went out there in the middle of the rain and shot that shotgun off. You talk about. All the guards come down. <laughs> I got everybody's attention way more than, than I wanted to. Yeah. Were you ever uh, involved? How many rodeos back in your day used to do like a parade? You'd have to ride your, oh, about, your pony about, or, or about donkey every through. one of them, you know. And of course, they'd want me to drive my old Model T in, in it, but it'd get too hot. And so a lot of times we'd haul it on a trailer and and, and stuff. But yeah, I've been I've been in way more more parades than the that I have prepared to talk about, but you know, you, you need them and, and it's promotion for the rodeo. And I understand it. And I, I didn't mind doing it. You know, a lot of, a lot of clowns said, Oh man, they wanted paid extra to do it. But I always felt like that I could help the rodeo. If we could, anything we could do to sell tickets. And, and I didn't mind working small rodeos. Uh, you know, the thing about it is if, if you make a, a rodeo get better and bigger and Pawnee years ago asked me, they said, what can we do to really make our rodeo bigger and better? And I said, you got to, you know, Pawnee's only about 2,500 people. You got to get everybody in town interested and involved in that rodeo. That's what makes Burwell, Nebraska, Sydney, Iowa, and those towns like that. I mean, they have 10,000 people, you know, at those rodeos, in those little towns. And, and, and I'll tell you what, Pawnee has done a great job of getting that, that whole community behind it. And of course, it's only about 15 miles from Morrison or 12, I guess. And uh, they put on a good good little rodeo there and stuff. And then, of course, Ponca City and, and Woodward's got really big and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, parades. and Claremore seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Yes, and, and they are. Claremore is a, is a real good rodeo. And, and uh, you know, the thing about it, about rodeos are, and serving on a rodeo committee and stuff, you don't realize, but it costs so much to put on a rodeo that if you can't get the sponsors, you know, the, to help with it, it, it's about impossible to sell enough tickets to make one work anymore. You know, it's just, uh, and I've always said that if you had to pay every committee man that's on every rodeo committee what he makes at his normal job for the hours he puts in on that committee, we can't afford to even have one of them. And you got to thank the committee man. They're the... I don't get thinking near as near as often as they probably should. Now that I'm a committee man on a rodeo, I understand what these committee men go through, and it's a, a lot. It's a lot. Thank you, all you committee men and women yeah, that man. put on these rodeos. When you're a rodeo clown, you probably should never be on one because you you got to realize that you make one stock contractor happy, but you make all these others mad, <laughs> and so you uh, sometimes you. But yeah, I, I enjoyed serving on it. And, and and Punk City Rodeo is a good rodeo, but uh, and of course I helped put on Tonka Wall Rodeo. I was I was president of that Northern Ag Club my sophomore year, and we put on that rodeo up there. So it's gotten 
pretty competitive to get these rodeos nowadays, Jimbo, I think. Really? Yeah, there's a, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, there's been a lot of hand switch on some of the rodeos, you know, different stock contractors taking them over from from some of the original people that even started the rodeo. So That's exactly right. And there's you know, there's some of these stock contractors now that, that have got a lot of money that they've made outside of rodeo, of course, and, and they love the sport, and which is good. I mean, because the stock's better now. But you see, like San Antonio, I've been watching it on TV. I got a buddy that lives at Bernie, Texas, and and uh, I went down there a couple years ago with him and and went to the rodeo and stuff. But uh, when you got four or five stock contractors, you know that's got their best stock. Their you know Corcos have always had good horses and the Suttons and and uh, but when you, you just uh, uh, Frontier Rodeo now in in Freedom, Oklahoma, you know. They, Oh yeah, they uh, they've got some great stock, and, uh, and they're just a bunch of good stock contractors. For sure, and there's more good animals now than I believe there's probably ever been. Like you said, I think they only had one or two good horses, one or two good bulls. It was a big drawing contest everywhere you went. Now it seems to be a lot more of a riding contest. I everything, think everything bucks now. I think so. If you get to one of these big rodeos, chances are you're going to get one. You got a shot on at least. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And it, uh, you know, like I heard the other day what a guy bought ten of, of another stock contractor's best horses and paid a million dollars for ten horses. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. That's uh, and you know, look at what these roping horses and and stuff are bringing now. These team roping horses and calf roping horses. And I heard of one the other day that. That uh, a guy that I know and sold his his calf horse for hundred fifty thousand. That must be an average one because they're bringing a lot more than that. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy and it's good. I'm glad to see it. I am. It's about time the uh, horse is worth what your rig is pulling him around. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. We see these big living quarter trailers, and big trucks and stuff, and and I mean, back when I was going, we had a camper on the back for a pickup. We felt really good about that, you know. Yeah, we were still staying in motels. We didn't have, you know, any kind of living quarters, anything when mm-hmm. I was coming up rodeo. And I don't think anybody had these living quarters trailers, actually, no, for a long no. time. So, but these guys got to feel a lot better when they get up in the morning after getting a good night's sleep and their nice air conditioning or heated really, trailer. When you, when you stay at the rodeo grounds, I had a living quarter trailer there for a while. And when you stay at the rodeo grounds and stuff, you meet so many people you meet, especially in my business, you know, met a lot more of the committee people that's out there working on the, re- the arenas and stuff. And you, you made friendships and stuff. And, and, uh, I love going to national finals every year. We have a gold card reunion that's held at the Thomas Mike on Thursday. Uh, Sean Davis started it. And now Johnny Riley is kind of taking it over. This year is the first year that, that, uh, that, you got to be a gold card member to to attend it, and and you can bring one guest with you, and uh, you know have a PRCA gold card. You had to have been a member for twenty years, and at one time you had to be fifty years old. And I, I was kidding the girls in the office one year. I said I'm must only forty one years old, and I've had one for twenty years, you know, and stuff. And they ended up changing the rule they did for twenty years, so they. When I went to Las Vegas that year to the convention, one of the gals in the office handed me my gold card and said, hey, they changed the rule, and here's your gold card. So, 
real proud of that and give me it. In this cowboy channel, I'll tell you what now, it's it, it's really great that we get to watch these good rodeos. and, and uh, Oh, yeah. I remember when we used to have to stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning before the NFR would even start, you know, mm -hmm. on ESPN2 sometimes. Well, so Yeah, this, this cowboy channel, what they're doing is, uh, I think, is really helping rodeo out, but I'm... I'm so proud of the PRCA and, the, and you know, we, we still have a prayer. We still have the national anthem. Uh, it's family entertainment. Yep. It's the best deal going. Yeah. No doubt about it. Sports deal. It's so making a lot of these cowboys and cowgirls household names. A lot of people are, are getting the exposure out there and that's how they get those. That's how they get the money up. That's exactly right. Yeah. Walker. This Spurring his bronco or bareback horse out last night, it's just all over the internet. Every opinion, oh, he didn't spur him, or he did spur him, you know, and got cheated, or he didn't get cheated. You know, he, he's the talk of the internet, Facebook right now, just like a college game. football game. I know, I know, I like it. Yep, that, that uh, he's good for the sport, rocker, and he's you know, his his dad was riding bulls when I was going, and I'll guarantee you what now. Bobby Steiner could ride a bad one. Yeah. I'll never forget Burwell one year. He drew a bull that just spun right in the gate. And uh, first jump out after he nodded, he just turned back and he's looking at the guys that pulled his rope. And he said, I made it through that one, didn't I? And he's talking to him. Wow. <laughs> Impressed. But yeah, and then Sid Steiner, his dad, of course, the world champion and and uh, uh, just, just great folks in rodeo. Yeah. Bring in a lot of new fans, people like Rocker. I mean, you'll, you'll tell how many fans he's brought to rodeo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. You, know, you, you take Bobby Brown and, and uh, Hawkeye Henson when they used to bail off those horses, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and just stick the landing, and it just amazed me and always landed on my head. And yeah. uh, if I ever got bucked off, it seemed like. But, uh, but those guys can make it look so good. And, you know, it's uh, For sure. You do a little work with the – Rodeo Historical Society. Yes, yeah, I've I've uh, I've been I've I've been on the ballot to be a director for them. I uh, and I go down there a lot and try to help them. And and I told them I said even though I'm not a director, I'll, I'll help them any way I can. I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, you know National Cowboy Western Heritage Museum and and the inductions and stuff like that. I think we've got a lot of people that that need to be in it that that. Uh, I was glad to see, you know, Buck get in it, Buck Grand get in it, and that was kind of a, a a goal of mine was to to try to get him in in the NF in there. He, you know, he worked five NFRs and stuff, and including the first one. Yeah, including the first one, and and uh, but yeah, I I enjoy going down there, and I I got friends from South Dakota, and uh, Tom Miller, and and of course uh, uh, John McBeth good friend of mine from up in Kansas, you know, and stuff. And just see a lot of people that, that I don't get to see maybe at the national finals that don't always go out there every year. So. Well, all right. I think that's about it. That might be a wrap. Well, everybody be sure to like subscribe, throw a comment on there for us. Yeah. We like to I try to respond to those comments. I might miss one. If I did, it's just accident. So we appreciate your input. Lauren only lets me 
Well, you look at the Facebook. I'm not allowed to comment comment on anything. You need to take your comment button away from (laughs) (laughs) me. Well, thank you, Gary. We sure appreciate you coming in today. Well, we appreciate you. What do you all do? Oh, yes, sir. And uh, be sure and everyone stop by the museum when you're in Pahuska. You're going to love it. For sure. See y'all next week. Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage <laughs>